if there's an investor that doesn't feel like this aligns with their values and principles, helping the people in the community, then they're probably not the right investors for us. And, you know, that's who we are. That's who we want to attract. And it can't be either or. There can be a third way and it can be both things. And so that that would be my response. If this doesn't excite you and it doesn't make you smile, then then maybe, you know, we're not the right fit for you. Your network is your net worth. Come listen to some of the most successful people I know. Share invaluable knowledge, stories, and advice in real estate, business, and beyond. This is Weiss Advice. Whether you want to take your business or personal life to the next level, look no further. Welcome back to another episode of Weiss Advice. I'm your host, Yona Weiss. Great to be here today on another podcasting day. Every day feels like a podcasting day to me, but wonderful to have a guest, Jenny Gu, on the show, Vertical Street Ventures. We had her partner, Steve Louis, back about a, I mean, close to a year ago, but I know a lot's happened since then and excited to have you back on the show. So welcome, Jenny. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Yuna. I'm so excited to be here with you today. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. If you wouldn't mind, give our, our listeners a little bit of a background, who you are, how you got started in real estate. I know you haven't been doing that for your whole life. So let's hear, how did you get involved? Great. Yeah. So just my backstory before I started into the world of real estate, I'm a recovering sales director from a previous life. So I spent 13 years in sales at Procter & Gamble. I'm just kidding. I love the company. I love the role. And while I was there, we, my husband and I, Ronnie, started investing in real estate. Like many of your listeners, I'm sure, started with single families, had a big light bulb come up and then realized that multifamily was the route that we wanted to pursue. Left my job in 2020, right at the start of the pandemic, right when COVID shut things down. It's probably a little backwards, but I wouldn't change a thing and dived headfirst into multifamily. Started the company with a few partners and fast forward to now, we are rocking and rolling on a wonderful business and with great team members in place as well. That's awesome. And it's great to be, you know, be able to run a business with your spouse. I mean, that's pretty cool. Let me take a step back because that's awesome how you're able to leave your job, but maybe not at the most opportune time. I mean, retroactively, what do you think about it? I mean, would you, you have done the same thing now that you know what you know now? You know, I'm a firm believer in everything happens for a reason. You make your own choices, of course. I think it was meant to be that way. So in you know, somebody in my position probably would have said, oh, this is the worst timing possible. But if I look back, okay, I left in February of 2020 from a really crazy, intense travel work schedule. And when I left, things shut down literally two weeks later and the kids got homeschooled. So everything was then remote. And if had I been working, both of us had been working our current jobs before, it would have just been a completely different lifestyle than mm. we had imagined. So we were fortunate in that retrospect to have me not be working full time and be able to help the kids with this new world that they were thrown into from a remote learning standpoint. For sure. But then it also gave me flexibility to still pursue real estate at the pace that I needed to go. Yeah. And how was that pace? I mean, you, you mentioned you started out with single families and then moved into multifamily. And what was that transition like? And how did you come to realize, because a lot of people, there's plenty of people out there that still stay in single family, are very happy with it and are very successful with it. So I'm always curious to know like why someone makes that transition and how they, you know, what was the mindset or was it, you know, anything else that was kind of pushing you in that direction? 
Yeah, I mean, there's no right or wrong. It's just what fits you. Oh, for you, family, exactly. Right? Right. Yeah, and really for anybody. So we still have our single family homes. We didn't sell all of them. And I think, you know, because they're still cash flowing, there's no reason to. And so what really kind of shifted our mindset was just meeting the right people at the right time. Mm-hmm. So we started investing in single families back in 2017. By 2019, we started listening to podcasts. And I really give credit to Ronnie who moved me in the direction because, you know, the discussion with your spouses are typically interesting. It's like, okay, we'll buy single families. And then one day he said, we should buy apartments. And my natural reaction was, you're crazy. Like, what do you mean? We're, you know, we're barely figuring out single families. What do you mean you want to go buy an apartment? Right. But it's just the learning, meeting people, going to meetups, listening to podcasts that helped change that mindset because, you know, if so many people have found success in it, there's obviously something working, right? For sure. And so what were some of those podcasts or meetups or the people that you met that were doing it? I mean, how did you actually do it? Like transition to buy your first apartment building? Yeah. So we lived in Cincinnati at that time. If you guys are familiar with Joe Fairless, he is from Cincinnati, has his own meetup there. And now that we live in Southern California, I'm not sure if it's still there, but hopefully it is. But that's where we started meeting the right people. So we listened to his podcast, started listening to Bigger Pockets, started reading books. I think one of the first multifamily books I read was David Lindahl's book, Multifamily Millions. So then that just kind of snowballed into more excitement about this model. And so when I left my job, I left before even purchasing a single unit of multifamily. That's how much we believed in the model and the people in the industry. And so I spent most of 2020 learning, okay, in the middle of the pandemic, I found a mentor named Steve Louie, who's now one of my partners. So he was actually my first mentor, learned from him on the job, helping him manage his own properties in Arizona. Mm-hmm. And come, you know, the end of 2020, that's when we bought our first apartment. So leveraging somebody who knows the business, and that's right. so important to find a mentor. I'm sure you know this too. For sure. But leveraging them and their resources and knowledge to, you know, get your foot in the door. Absolutely. I mean, that's something that comes up over and over and over and over again on this show is that people that are successful at really start out with having a mentor, having someone, and in your case, someone that you could actually work side by side with on their own properties. I mean, it's different mm-hmm. from having a mentor, maybe remotely, or having someone that you listen to their course, or something that maybe have a call every week or two or something like that, versus you know going out and touring properties and actually underwriting deals together. It's a game changer. It really is. I'm sure that was like, you know, just a light bulb. Okay, this is someone that we want to not only learn from, but do business with. Absolutely. Yeah. And so since then, you've taken on some more team members, you've built a team even more. And I mean, tell us about this Vertical Street Ventures from, you know, its inception to where it is now. Yeah, sure. We, you know, I left in February 2020. Steve actually left his career at Mercer at the end of 2020. And that's what I said, look, we work well together. We have similar goals and visions. Let's do this thing together. And so we launched Vertical Street Ventures officially in January of 2021. Now, collectively, we've combined our portfolios. Kyle Mitchell has joined over the last two years. We brought another partner, Kiyoshi. So collectively, our portfolio has grown to a little over $300 million under management and predominantly in Arizona, Phoenix mm-hmm. and the Tucson market. Right. So over the course of the last two years, yes, we've been able to scale very quickly. And really, I attribute that to having the right people 
in the right roles, Mm -hmm. defining what everyone's responsibility is, and really setting up the right systems and processes. I get asked that a lot. Like, how did you guys scale so quickly in a couple years? I know. And it's really those things. And I'll tell you, we're not perfect. We are still learning as we go, still developing systems and processes. But I think having that mentality when you first start will save you a lot of time as you are looking this band and skin. Yeah. I mean, just playing the other side for a minute, you know, a lot of people who have been in the business for decades, they see someone like, you know, a team like yourself from the outside, not actually getting to know you, but they may have a totally different story once they do. But they'll see, oh, how can this group, they bought 300 million in real estate and multifamily in this time. And, you know, they're probably over leveraged and they're making all kinds of assumptions. And now what are they going to do now that interest rates have risen? A lot of people are seemingly underwater at this point. And so how would you answer someone who's a critic like that from the outside? Yeah, it's a valid question. And I we're experiencing that today, right? So at least our portfolio, everything we purchased in 2022, we purchased with their rate cap between, you know, one and a quarter to one and three quarters, I believe, right? That's very smart. So- We were fortunate to foresee what we needed to purchase, and that has definitely protected our portfolio for the most part. Now, is every single property running smoothly? Absolutely not. But I think the important thing is identifying it, finding the right solutions, and Mm -hmm. then activating on it. And then also what we are trying really hard to do is be transparent and proactive with communication. Because, you know, I'm sure you've heard too, as long as you're being transparent and hopefully not, you know, a surprise to your investors, that's going to, that's what drives the trust with the team and your investors. Cause they know they read the news too. They see what's happening. If you're painting a rosy picture all the time, there's something fishy for sure then. 100%. And I, as a limited partner, as a passive investor myself, that's the most important thing. Like I want to know from every deal that I'm in what's going on. What's the situation? And it really teaches me and anyone else there who, who is investing. If you're going to invest with this person again, right? What is that communication like? Is it transparent? Are we having that, you know, hearing about what's going wrong with the property or, uh, you know, with tenants? Like, was there any crime you going on? Do we have to deal with that? Is there vacancies? Are there delinquencies? All kinds of, we want to know everything that, you know, every step of the way. And so it's important to be transparent and communicate. So I love that. It, everyone's struggling in some way or another. Like there's nobody out there in the world that has, you know, everything is going right all the time. (laughs) So it's a misnomer to think that is possible. But I love the fact that you have that team in place. And the fact that you and everyone else on your team were successful in their respective businesses and, you know, occupations before going into real estate really does say a lot about, I guess, integrity and, and says a lot about kind of loyalty to, to each other. So that to me is already like a big plus. Yeah. And, you know, the other question is, you know, how do you create a team that can excel? And I look across everybody who's, you know, successful in the syndication world or real estate world. And I do find that there's more often than not a common theme and that I find the most successful people in this industry has had some sort of experience running a business because this is what it is. We are running a business. It's a people first business. But you have to know, you know, how to drive revenue, how to manage expenses. And I believe that between myself, my corporate background at PNG, you know, Steve at Mercer, Mercer, Kyle ran a golf course, you know, that's running a business. And then Kyoshi from the financial world 
I mean, we all had the corporate experience to understand how to effectively run a P&L for the properties and for our own company too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And having the right people in each respective role definitely makes a huge difference. Like you said earlier, building that yeah. right team, building your A team, building something yeah. that can be successful. Yeah. Well, we didn't start out that way. I no. mean, when we at the startup, right? Let's say, you know, it was Steve and I first that kind of, you know, built VSB. Kyle had his own company that we merged in later on, but he had experienced this too. But we were wearing multiple hats, both of us, all of us. And it wasn't until we started to grow that we were able to then hire and delegate. So I just want to make sure that's clear. At first, (laughs) you're, you're a juggler of multiple hats, but eventually you'll get to find your superpower and what you love to do and then combine those together. Is there a certain, I mean, level that you could say, I mean, every, everyone's situation is different, but a certain number of units, a certain number of, you know, asset, dollar amount of asset under management or a certain number of cash flow that gave you the freedom to bring on more people or hire more people? Because that is a challenge that every business has, every startup has, right? How do you know, you know, when you can hire and kind of bring the business to the next level? You know, that's a good question. I don't know if there was a certain number of units. I think it was, you know, one of the first people we brought on was someone who managed a lot of the IT and the tech. And it's right or wrong. I think I've heard people start with, you know, a controller. Some people start with an admin or a virtual assistant. It's whatever works for you. But we had just the whole systems and processes point I made earlier. Having someone help us set up the right infrastructure was super important to us because that meant us spending less time digging around, you know, finding things, searching for something. So that was, for us, it was time available that was freed up because we had somebody helped us, which then enabled us to focus more on revenue generating activities. Okay. For somebody else, you could say, you know, if we're generating five grand a month of extra revenue, is that sufficient to then go hire a virtual assistant? I think it's the right checks and balance of Mm. how much is one hour of your time worth versus an hour of someone else's time. I think you have to figure that out. But I also will say is, you know, as a startup, most startups don't generate a ton of revenue in the first year. And so you just have to manage through that and do the, you know, plus and minuses of hiring. But what we found to be really helpful too is hiring before you have the need. So it's hard hard to to kind of foresee that. It is really hard to foresee, project it financially, and then also project it from a workload standpoint. But it's so much easier in the standpoint if you have look out to, we do a lot of planning, looking mm-hmm. out one year, three year, five years. So in one year, where do we think we're going to be and who needs to be in place to make that happen? That exercise is super important because when you do actually need that person, you're off, you're often already behind and underwater. So it's better yeah. to hire ahead, train them, get them rocking and rolling, and then just unleashing them when it's right. Totally. I, I totally see that. Jenny, you're also involved in the community a lot. You guys have started something called the, F- the First Residence Program. Can you talk to us about what that is and, and how that started? Yes, we are so passionate and excited about this. So one of the things we said originally as we started the company was we want to positively impact the communities that we invested and you know participate in. And transparently, we didn't spend enough time the first two years doing that because we were just running on all cylinders in multiple directions. But for this year, 2023, we are blowing this out. And to say it a different way, you know, on a lot of our peers in the industry, we do the same thing. We do things like resident appreciation events. 
right? To drive them, make sure they're valued. And that's super critical. But we want to take that to the next level. So we are hiring somebody, a full-time community, a chief community relations manager, whose main job will be to do two things. One, manage every single touch point from a resident experience standpoint, whether they're a prospective resident, new or current, events monthly, newsletters, touch points, emails, work orders. How do we make sure that their experience is top notch? Mm -hmm. Where my vision for this, our vision for this would be there's a waiting list of people who want to live in the community and there's zero turnover, right? The second component is uplifting our residents. So we predominantly purchase class B and C properties, BB minus properties. They're working class. Most are paycheck to paycheck. Most have families. We want to drive more financial literacy for our residents. So the second component of this would be outreach for the community, partnering with nonprofits to help drive more financial education courses for our residents, developing a scholarship fund, a 12-month financial roadmap for each of our residents. Like there's so much, you can imagine like all the ideas. Sure. And so we're hiring a full-time person dedicated to this. That's amazing. I wish everyone did this, you know, and then I mean, maybe the next step is rolling this out for other communities, other companies to follow suit and do something similar, because this is really, I mean, I personally believe this is something that everyone should be doing to a certain extent within their communities. The first level that you talked about is just simple, you know, managing the property, making sure everyone is happy and it helps, you know, it's a win-win because the residents are happier, they stay longer, you guys are happier, less turnover. You know, and in fact, I know a few companies, a few businesses that have created specific apps for their properties that allow, you know, the residents to just, you know, any work orders, anything that needs to be done, any communication, it just streamlines the process and maybe even some community, you know, chat or something involved is there as well. So there's so many things, so many directions you can go with this. It's awesome. But the second part, which to me is like, I've almost never heard about this, you know, like helping your residents because you feel a responsibility for them. You are creating this community they're living in. And it's not just a business that we want to, you know, buy this, sell it in, you know, two years, flip it and and make a big profit for our investors. The one pushback that I've gotten from certain people when I've discussed this subject and it's come up a lot because I am passionate about it as well, is, you know, some people will say, well, your responsibility to your investors is, you know, to make the biggest profit and is not to you know, do all these community impact things. I have my answers to that, but I'm just curious what you would say to to someone like that. Yeah, that's a really good question. And this is something, you know, when I, when we fine tune it and really make this explode, this is something I think will game change the industry as more and more people hear about it. I would say when we have a conference in April, for example, we're going to roll this out and announce it to all of our attendees as well. If there's an investor that doesn't feel like this aligns with their values and principles, helping the people in the community, then they're probably not the right investors for us. And, you know, that's who we are. That's who we want to attract. And it can't be either or. There can be a third way and it can be both things. And so that that would be my response. If this doesn't excite you and it doesn't make you smile, then then maybe, you know, we're not the right fit for you. 100%. No, and that's exactly, you know, in, in different words, my approach as well. You know, you're your responsibility to the investors is to run the business plan. And if part of your business plan is creating impact and giving back, and they're on board with that, which you should be attracting those type of people, because obviously your interests are aligned, then it's great. And everyone's happy. (laughs) 
And if you have people that think that, oh, you're not driving a profit, well, guess what? This is not the best investment for you then, because we have other initiatives in mind and, you know, we want to make this impact to that is needed. It's so much needed. 100%. That's awesome. I love that. Well, Jenny, I mean, we could go on and on and on here, but I want to transition to what we call the final four. These are four questions that I ask. And before we do, actually, before we get to the final four, you mentioned the conference that you have coming up in April. Can you give a, a shout out or a little plug to that? Oh, I would love to. Thank you. So BSVCon is happening April 28th through 30th. This is our second event ever. Last year, we had it in June. It sold out and it was a fantastic event. So check out bsvcon.com. We're bringing in industry speakers, Ken McElroy. We have Tony Robbins speakers, Siri Lindley coming, a bus tour. And then just for your listeners, Yuna, if you'd like a discount on tickets, you can use a discount code Weiss Advice to get oh, wow. 10% off your tickets. Look at that. But go to vsbcon.com. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure to air this with enough time that can get people signed up before it sells out. I appreciate that. That's awesome. Looking forward to hearing about that. And so let's just transition right now, jump into the final four. First question okay. is, what is the worst job that you ever had? I'm typically a very positive person, so I don't have a worst job. I would say the most difficult job I've had was to manage people and have to let them go. I think that is such a difficult thing to do because we are affecting somebody's life and livelihood. But I will always remember those experiences where, you know, if they weren't performing and managing the message in a way that was productive, that was tough. That's hard. That is hard. Fortunately, I haven't been in that situation before, but I can only imagine, especially if you're getting directives from above, right? And you're... Yeah kind of middle manager and you don't have a choice in it. Yeah. Okay. Second question. What's a book you've read that's given you a paradigm shift? Okay. I'm reading it right now. It just released, I think, February 7th. So Nick Sonnenberg, who I just met as a team, is all about workplace efficiency. So his book, Come Up for Air, is what I'm reading right now. And it is already getting me the tingling feeling because I want to implement everything. (laughs) It's the best. He's recommended. So he focuses all on in this new remote world, working with so many different sets of information and tools. How do you streamline and become super effective? So yeah. Come Up for Air is the book. Awesome. Okay. Well, it's brand new to me. I've never heard of it before, obviously, since it's hot off the press. So yes. we'll make yeah. sure to put that in the show notes. People can check that out. Come Up for Air. Awesome. Third question, what's a skill or talent that you would like to learn? So I married into a Taiwanese family. And I'm not telling you the Vietnamese. My skill for my goal this year is to learn basic Mandarin. That's pretty. I, I, it's hard. I mean, do you speak any other languages? Vietnamese. Excuse me, English and Vietnamese. So, yes. You know, it, I'm sure it's going to be challenging, but I'm curious. I don't know the first thing about either language, but are there similarities? They're very tonal. So, there's accents and words change based on how you say it. But one uses characters, one uses letters. So, they're different in that, that aspect. But both are hard. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. No, it's not like some of the Latin languages or yeah. the Germanic languages are, are very similar. And so if yeah. you know you know one, it's easier to learn the next one. Right. So um, right. very interesting. Okay. Well, good luck with that. I'm sure that's going to be a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> Fourth and final question, what does success mean to you? For me specifically, it is, you know, you've heard people say life by design. I use that a lot. Hashtag life by design. It is the freedom and flexibility to do what I want, where I want, when I want to, with who I want to, right? That is, I think, the ultimate success. And that's what a lot of our investors look for, is that financial independence so that their time isn't dictated by somebody else. 
So to me, that's the ultimate success. That's really what it's all about. I mean, that's true success, being able to make your own choices and not be really run by anyone else and not be subject to, you know, certainly you have, you have obligations. Everyone does, especially running a business, you have obligations to investors, et cetera. But at the end of the day, you can really shape, like you said, shape your life in a way that you can make the choices that you want. Absolutely. Love that. Well, Jenny, this has really been a pleasure. Finally, where, where can our listeners find you or reach out to you if they want? You already gave us sure. the, the VSV con. I'm sure a lot of listeners are going to go there, but any other way people can reach out to you? Yeah, VSV con to get tickets to the event. But if on, you're on social media, you can go to our LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. Our website is verticalstreetventures.com. I love talking about real estate. So feel free to reach out and, and shoot me a note and I'm happy to, to connect and talk further. Awesome. Well, thank you again for taking the time. Really been a pleasure. Good to always have the different perspectives and brought so much light to different things that I think are things people think about a lot and really didn't have perspective on entirely. So I appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Such a blast. Yeah. And to our listeners, thank you guys for listening once again, all the way until the end. And remember the best advice comes only when you ask. Real quick, I have one question for you. Did you like this episode? If you did, I want to ask you a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread this message to the whole world is that if you leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the podcast. What that does is it basically tells the platforms that this podcast is out on is that you like my stuff and I'm doing something right. So take a few seconds out of your day, hit that subscribe button, leave a rating or review. I would be extremely grateful. Also, I want to hear from you guys. So I want to hear some feedback. If you have any questions for future episodes, please find me on LinkedIn. Send me a DM, a connection request, Yona Weiss, and I'd love to hear from you.